I heard a story some years ago about a man who was traveling on business in a part of Asia where there are not many Christians. And he was in a major city and was beginning to look for a gift to take home to his wife. And he passed a jewelry store and noticed in the window there were some crosses. And he thought how, how interesting and how special to, to get a cross in a place that there are not many Christians. And so he thought, this is just the thing. And so he went in the jewelry store and saw the shopkeeper and said he was interested in the crosses that were in the window. And the shopkeeper looked at him and said, certainly, sir, what kind are you interested in? A plain one or one with a little man on it? (laughs) A plain cross or a cross with someone on it could in some ways sum up not only an enormity of perspectives on art history... (laughs) but also a whole range of understandings of theology. In the Eastern Church during the 8th and 9th centuries, Christians argued over whether it was appropriate to picture Jesus on a cross. Those arguing against it worried about falling into idolatry. Again, during the 16th century, Protestant mobs often replaced crucifixes, those crosses with bodies on them, the cross with Jesus on it, with a plain cross, increasingly more stylized and elegant, believing that the so-called plain cross was more appropriate. I remember in college, a a cynical evangelical friend of mine, which is a good mix to begin with, used to say, oh yes, they will know we are Christians by our jewelry. (laughs) Martin Luther, who was credited as beginning the real Protestant Reformation, though there were smaller bursts of reforming spirits before and after, uh, Martin Luther never forbade the use of images. In fact, in the city church of Wittenberg, where Luther often preached, one of the altarpieces there shows Luther preaching and pointing to a crucifix that has sort of materialized in front of the people. Luther's own words make this acceptance of images and pictures clear. Luther said, God desires to have his works heard and read especially the passion of our Lord. But it is impossible for me to hear and bear it in mind without forming mental images of it first in my heart. For whether I will or not, when I hear of Christ, an image of a man hanging upon a cross takes form in my heart. If it is not a sin, but good to have the image of Christ in my heart, why should it be a sin to have it in my eyes? Our own church, like many churches, has a mixture of images. Our cross on the main high altar that's been here for years and years, some of you perhaps know the story behind it, um, is in the form of what's often called a Celtic cross, 
the cross with a sort of circle around it, so-called Celtic because it became popular in Ireland and Britain, especially in the early Middle Ages. Also, it's probably here in part because it reminds us as Anglicans of our church's roots in that part of the world. But the stained glass over the window goes the other direction, in an extreme way. There's no missing the body. It's the crucifixion, and there's nothing stylized about it. Jesus is there, front and center. We have the crucifix up high over the altar. Again, its provenance is not extremely well known. It may be Spanish. We're not sure. What we do know is it's extremely heavy. But there's no missing the body on the cross. And now we have a new cross, a new crucifix that will be in our memorial chapel. And again, there's no mistaking the body on the cross. But also there's no mistaking that Jesus is alive. He is in charge. He is over all. He is within all. I don't know about you, um, if someone forced me to choose the cross with Jesus on it or the cross without, I'm not sure which I would choose. Again, I don't know about you, but I need both. In my own life of faith, I need both. I need all the various crosses I can get to remind me of Jesus as I swerve and sway in following him. The cross, all the crosses, mark ways for me to return again to a place of balance and faithfulness. In today's gospel, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We could pause there for a long time and think about exactly what that means, to love as Jesus has loved others and loved us. To love as Jesus loved is surely to speak to the stranger and to welcome the outcast. To love as Jesus loves is to notice the ignored and to stand up for what's right, even or especially when it's hard or unpopular. To love like Jesus is to offer healing, to reserve judgment, and to show mercy, always and everywhere to show mercy. And in case we're still not sure exactly what all of this means from Jesus, he continues, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sometimes we need an empty cross, spare and strong. The empty cross reminds us of the victory of Christ, the victory of God through the cross. He is not there because he has arisen. I have a friend who in his younger years had a tendency of always seeing himself as the victim In every possible situation, he was being done unto by others. Finally, as he tells it, a wise friend took him aside and said, You know, you have a lot more say in things than you're admitting. Why don't you get off the cross? We need the wood. (laughs) 
The Christian hope involves an empty cross because through it God has worked a wonder, opening the way to eternal life for all of us. And yet, and yet, many of us need a cross with Jesus on it, uh, reminding us of the cost of his way of love. It doesn't just happen. The new crucifix that will be in our chapel is a, is a Franciscan crucifix, not only because it shows St. Francis of Assisi there at the bottom, venerating Jesus, but it's also, if, if not even more so, Franciscan in its tone, because, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is alive, strong and alert with purpose and intention, and even there teaching us, loving us, imploring us to love more. The result is the same. Resurrection and ascension into the fullness of God's presence. But the cross with the body of Jesus on it reminds us of embodied faith. It's, it's tempting sometimes to live our faith in our heads. We can pray in silence and we can follow Jesus in our heads in a life of intentions. But being reminded of the body on the cross, reflecting on the body of Christ in a crucifix, can work as a mirror for us to remind us that we too are flesh and blood. God has given us these bodies as gifts, gifts capable of prayer and capable of action and capable of service and capable of love. It's what we have. It's where God's love will be made manifest in our world. This is what the writer of 1 John is pointing to when he says in today's epistle that Christ is the one who came by water and blood, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. The water might represent baptism, the waters of baptism that refresh and renew and cleanse and enliven, but that's not the entire story, is it? Christ also comes giving and serving and sacrificing, eventually offering his body and blood in the mystery of the crucifixion. He shows us the way, and it is a way of water and blood. Even on the cross, Jesus says to onlookers, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. To his mother Mary and his friend John, he says, love one another, always and everywhere. To us, whether we look from far away or close up, Jesus continues to say, love one another. With all you have and with all that you are, love one another. And so trying to love one another, aiming to love one another, praying to love one another, we can pray with St. Francis, both here and in your church throughout the whole world. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.